So, Father, thank you. Thank you for fellowship. Thank you for, um, for friendship. Thank you, Lord, that you connect us in ways that we would never imagine. Thank you that you, um, that you are uh, building us up as a body, Lord God, to, um, to adequately represent Jesus together. Help us to do that, Lord, and to understand that no one person of us can do it properly, that we need each other. And, um, and that we can be sure you're always with us when we are out on our own, Lord, or when we're out together, that you are there in our midst, that you are the one who will uh, speak through us, behave through us, do through us, Lord God, because you have promised that uh, we are forever in Christ and he is forever in us. And so we praise you for that, Lord, and ask you to um, open our eyes today, tonight, to what you have for us here in this in this wonderful word that Paul wrote to Timothy, that you wrote to us, and help us to see those things, Lord, that we would otherwise miss without your Holy Spirit leading and directing and guiding us. And then, Father, help us to apply the truths that we hear to our own lives so that we are changed by them, transformed by them, so that we are more and more able to love you, Lord, the way that we want to love you and to serve you in the way that, um, yeah, that will bring you glory. So we pray all of this, Lord, and give you this evening. Um, in Jesus' name, amen. amen. Um, okay, I don't know if you did the... The homework was sent by email. Um, hopefully you did what was on the page for the homework. Uh, but also, I think I said last time about doing a character study of Timothy. If you wanted to do a character study, to do a character study. And I just wanted to give you an opportunity to share, if you did a character study of Timothy to share whatever you came up with. So if you didn't do it, that's fine. It wasn't on the list of homework. And anyway, the homework's for you, not for necessarily. It does a little bit, yes, it does. But there's a lot of other references to Timothy in Scripture. So um, a few people this morning said that they'd done it and really been blessed by it. Um, so um, I just didn't want to say do it and then not give anyone a chance to have a think about it or talk about it. Um, Okay, um, so from first, Second Timothy chapter 1, sorry Carol, what did you say? Yeah, I think that means nobody's done it, <coughs> silence, which is fine, you know, it's, yeah. No, I, <laughs> I mean I can, but it was one of those things that really, the joy of it is digging it out for yourself, you know, it's, um, I, I could give you a whole list of he was timid, he was this, but when you read it in context, and when you start to ask the Lord, what does that mean for me? Or what does that mean for the church as a whole or the body of Christ? It, it kind of opens up doors that you wouldn't necessarily go through otherwise. So, um, yeah, just if you can, through the, through the whole eight weeks, just have a look at who he is and where, you know, what he was like and what he did. And you know, that's always amazed me when I've done character studies on anybody in the Bible. You realize that... Actually, there's no one in the Bible who adequately represents Christ. We talk about people as if they are, um, you know, types of Christ, and they are in a little way, but no, nobody comes close to Jesus. And for some reason, that makes me feel much better, <laughs> and and uh, make, helps me to understand this idea of wholeness, like the body of Christ representing Him, rather than individually, because we're such an individualistic culture, and you know, it's all about us, isn't it? Even when we're serving God, it's all about me serving God and how I can do that, and and. Um, 
Yes, exactly. Yes, exactly. Um, so, um, Second Timothy then, Second Timothy chapter one, um, which we'll just review briefly. We talked last week about there being foundations for the Christian life that that. Um, that if we have these things in our lives, our Christian life is more healthy. I'm not saying you can't be a Christian without them, but I'm saying if you want a healthy Christian life, Paul writes in that first chapter four things that, that I think you can say he considers are foundational to Christian ministry um, and the Christian life generally. So, um, And he, he kind of finishes the, the chapter uh, with a description of a man who'd been faithful in fellowship after he'd uh, reminded Timothy of all that God had done in and with Timothy to equip him for the work he'd called him to do. So just from whatever you can remember from chapter one that we talked about last week, what are the foundations that Paul thought was were crucial? Yeah, we, we said that the kind of theme for the whole letter was um, endurance and separation. And, um, but in chapter one, he laid down some, he did, it, you wouldn't see them as foundations. He doesn't say this is the foundation for Christian ministry, but he reminds Timothy of things that have happened and have been done for him or to him. Um, so what does he remind Timothy of then? Think of it that way. What does he remind Timothy of in that first chapter? Yeah, family training. He's reminded him of the scriptures that his grandmother and mother taught him, that of the, the things of God that he was taught as a child. And I think we said last time that you know, lots of us don't grow up in Christian families. So that means we don't have that sort of family training, which is why discipleship is so crucial when we come to the Lord. Because um, for the most part, we need training um, in our new family. And uh, that's what Paul did for Timothy. That's what Paul did for um, all the others that traveled with him. Um, that's what we're supposed to do for each other and especially for new believers. Um, we're supposed to walk alongside them and give them that family training. And, and if you call it family training, it really helps you to see what discipleship is like. Discipleship is not a teacher-pupil relationship. Discipleship is a close friendship or family connection where you love that person and want that person to be able to um, just reap the benefit of their Christian life and grow in Christ Jesus. So family training or training at home, what's the next thing? We put two things together on the next one. Paul says to Timothy, kindle afresh. Yeah, fan the flame. So T Paul reminds Timothy that he's been gifted and that he's been called. He's been called by God and he's been gifted by God. And, um, and so for Christian ministry or Christian life, there has to be a call from God and there has to be a gift, at least one, because we have the Holy Spirit and everyone has, everyone that the Holy Spirit indwells has a gift, at least one. So Timothy had a gift um, or gifts, and um, was called by God. So he'd had this family training, both by his earthly family and also by Paul as he was discipled. He had this gift of the Holy Spirit and the calling of God. And then um, what else did Paul remind him of? 
What's important for Christian ministry? Yeah, why not? Yeah, power, love, and discipline. Sound mind, definitely. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, not to be afraid. Paul's actually quite specific. He says, guard what's been entrusted to you. And then he says, I am convinced that, that Christ is able to guard what I've entrusted to him. So what does he say? Look, um, yes, that's it. For this reason, I also suffer these things, but I'm not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed, and I am convinced that he is able to guard what I have entrusted to him until that day, which is chapter 1, verse um, 12. Thank you. So what has he entrusted to, to Christ or to God? His life, yeah. In particular, I mean, what have you entrusted to God? I mean, yes, we'd like to, of course, we've entrusted our whole being, our life. But what's Paul specifically talking about, do you think? Because I don't think he's talking about his body because he's in prison and he's suffering. So what's he talking about? What has he entrusted to God or to Christ? Yeah, his ministry. But what about him? What, what about himself? He's entrusted his spirit and his soul to Christ Jesus. I know who, him in whom I have believed. And I am convinced that he is able to guard what I have entrusted to him until that day. What have you given to Christ Jesus? You've given him the essence of who you are. I mean, yes, your body, of course. We're a whole person. We don't think of separating things. But we've given Christ ourselves. But actually, he's promised to guard our soul. He's transforming our soul into the image of himself. He's, he's promised that his spirit dwells within us and has given life to our spirit. So that's what we're entrusting him with, isn't it? I mean, yes, our bodies too, but there's no guarantee of protection for our bodies. We get old, we get ill, we die, physically die. And there's no promise from God. Yes, he heals when he, when he chooses. And yes, he can be gracious and merciful whenever he wants. He is the healer. But there's no promise that your body, in fact, the only promise in the Bible about your body is that you'll get a new one. Yeah. Not that you're going to keep this one that's going to be patched up. So Paul's convinced that Christ will guard his soul and his spirit. And, um, and so that's essential for ministry. Because if you're not sure that that who, the essence of who you are now, the essence of you who's being transformed, is going to be guarded and protected by God, you are at the mercy of the enemy, Satan. You're at the enemy of your own self, your human nature, at the mercy, sorry, of your human nature. So it's important when you're in ministry to understand that, that you are protected by God. Um, and I think that's important in your whole Christian life. Otherwise, we'd be too afraid to step out of the door. There has to be an, an understanding of the protection of God. And Peter will say, won't he, in First Peter chapter 1, that we are protected by the power of God through faith, ready for a salvation that will be revealed in the last day. So there is a protection going on um, in our lives. Mm. Okay, there you go then. Mm. Mm. 
Yes. Yes. No, yes. Yes. That's the gospel. We fail. That's why Jesus didn't. That's the gospel message. Yeah. Yes. Definitely. Definitely. Yeah. Uh, the gospel is, you know, I mean, the gospel is under attack from all sorts of areas in our, in our time. And, but predominantly, it's under attack within the professing church because the gospel is being proclaimed as um, God will make you into the person you want to be. You will be strong. You will be healthy. You will be amazing. You'll do amazing exploits for God. You know, and it's all about you will be built up by God. They're putting God in the picture, but it's about you. You will be able to do this stuff. But actually, you and I can do nothing. You will fail almost every time you try to live for God because you can't do it. That's why Jesus had to live the perfect life. He didn't just, if he just had to pay for our sins, he only needed to die. He didn't need to live. He didn't need to keep the law. He didn't need to be righteous. He could have just died on the cross and paid for our sins. But he lived. He lived 30 odd years and he never sinned. He lived the life you and I can't live so that he could live it through us. So the reality is, Every day you face things that are too hard for you to bear, spiritually. Every day. This, this, this myth that God won't give us more than we can cope with, that's a lie. Because every day you're given things you can't cope with. Obviously you're aware of them much more on certain times. But every day, that's why God will say to Paul, my grace is sufficient for you. That's why we're told we can do all things through Christ who strengthens us. Not because Christ strengthens us, but through Christ who strengthens us. And it's that understanding that actually, even though I'm saved, I still need the gospel. I still need to understand the truth of the gospel, even though I'm saved. Because otherwise, I'm going to start to think I can do it, and when I'm not doing it, I will feel the condemnation of the enemy. You know, how many times are you, you know, dare to be a Daniel? Dare to, you know, you can slay Goliath. You can't slay Goliath. David is not a picture of us fighting the giant. He's a picture of Christ. He's a picture of Christ fighting the giant. And if, and, and if we think we can take one stone and fell the giant, fell Satan, we are sadly mistaken. It's only Christ in us who has the victory. No. Yes, that's definitely true. Well, it's a difficult one, Mike, and I'd have to sit with you for a long time to unpick what you've just said because I, what I do know is that the understanding that we can do it is entirely the opposite of the gospel. I know you are, but what I'm saying is sometimes even in the structure of the sentences that we say, we're, kind, we're almost denying that. 
and saying, I can do it. And it's my relationship with Christ that enables me to do it. So the better my relationship, i.e. the more I love him and the more I serve him and the more I do the right things, I am enabled to serve him better. I don't think that's true. No. I think the more I love him and the more I want to serve him and the more I, my desire is for him, the more willing he is or the more able he is to do everything through me. Because I want to get out of the way. You know what I mean? I, what I think the gospel tells me is that there's none righteous, no, not one. That I cannot keep the law. I can't keep the, couldn't keep the Mosaic law, and I cannot keep the law of Christ, which is higher. Only Christ can keep that law. Ah, uh, of course. Yes, very, very, very. I'm sorrowful because I can't totally put that together. Because I have questions about that, and I'm sorrowful that I that 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 wholesale slaughter was necessary, and I'm sorry about it because there are things about it that are still a mystery to me. Uh, I don't profess to understand totally. I know that the sin of the Amalekites had reached the, the level. I know that I know all the things it says, but I still feel so sad that there had to be children slaughtered. Men, women, children, the whole tribe wiped out. Humanly speaking, that makes me sad. Yes, but they're living in that time, in that place, and they're saying hallelujah to an act of God that has delivered them from an enemy. I'm sitting this side of the cross, and I'm looking at that, knowing that God is just, knowing that he has purpose and plan beyond my understanding, knowing that there is a reason for it. And when I pray and when I ask him, he will give me some answers, but knowing too that I am just a human being and that my responses to wholesale slaughter are correct I have if I don't have that response then I'm not sure that I actually have the heart of God because yes there are things yes yes so that's why it makes me sad to read it it's sort of yeah go ahead Yeah, and I no longer, I who live, yeah, exactly, lives in me, yeah, yes, 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 put that in your notes, Angela, yeah, because that's really excellent, that's, yeah, uh, I think it's connected, I'm not sure it's exactly that, but I, I think that, I think it's, it's like everything in Christianity, it's simple, and it's very complex, and, and so, once we put our own words into it, it becomes difficult. Um, I think we're saying the same thing, but I'd like to, I'd have to sit down and, and kind of pull that apart to make sure we were saying the same thing. And I'm not saying I'm necessarily right, although of course I am. But you know, no. <laughs> exactly. So. 
Yeah, it is. It is. Yeah. I think it's this, what, what I'm coming against is that the thing that is called the professing church, where people stand and say, you can speak beautiful, you are beautiful, you are intelligent, you are this, you are victorious, you are this, you are that, in and of yourself, say these things and they will be so. That's a lie. It's a complete lie. Yes, it's completely false teaching. And we talked about that in, in Second Peter. So anyway, so I don't know who started that. Was that you or me? I don't know. But anyway, <laughs> yeah. Okay, there. And, and, and yes, you were interrupting. No, I'm kidding, Mike. I'm kidding. So, um, no, I am kidding. So uh, Paul's speaking to Timothy, the way he speaks doesn't necessarily say these are the four foundational things for Christian ministry, but he's reminding Timothy of what's already happened. God has given him training. He's been discipled by his own family, discipled by Paul. He's been gifted and called by God. He's protected by God. Paul says, I am convinced he is able to guard. And of course, Timothy is going to naturally say, yes, of course, I think that too. And then the final thing is the fellowship that he talks about. So it's in Christian ministry, even in Christian life, you have to have those four things. I'm sure there are other things, but in this letter, they are the foundational things that Paul's writing to Timothy about. And he's reminding him that these things are true in your life. You have had these things. They will stand you in good stead. You will be able to move on from these. And though you will suffer in ministry, these things will enable you, as, lo as well as the power of God, will enable you to continue. Um, um, yeah, because Paul is calling Timothy to what, basically? What's Paul doing with Timothy? Yeah, he's actually giving him, passing the mantle on, isn't he? He's saying, okay, I, I'm going now. It's time for my departure. And, and so this is over to you. And Timothy knows what that's going to be like because he's traveled with Paul on his missionary journeys before. And he knows where he is now. So he knows what he's expecting. And um, so Paul is just, just telling him, I don't stop praying for you, thanking God for you. I, I know these things are true in your life. Um, and, and you are going to be able to do the ministry that God has called you to. Um, and I think it's, you know, it's a wonderful letter in that way, really. If you think God's writing that to us, you know, in these times, God is going to protect us. We've given him our soul and our spirit. We've given him ourselves. We've, you know, and we're not talking about now the surrender of ourselves. We're talking about the literal death to self and his, his taking over. And, and we've done that. It's a one-time deal. Romans 12 is written in the present, uh, one time, not a continuous action. Present your body a living sacrifice. That is a one-time deal. You do that once, and then you live every day in the memory of what you have done once. As uh, Angela said, Galatians 2, for I have been crucified with Christ. I have been crucified. It's done. And now I am living in the, on the, in the truth of that. So um, Timothy needed to understand it because he needed to know that God's grace would see him through and that he was to steward the treasure that he'd been entrusted with. What is the treasure that he's been entrusted with? 
Because, yeah, the gospel. He's been entrusted with the word of God. And the gospel of God is not simply the words of what we call the gospel. The gospel of the grace of God starts in Genesis and ends in Revelation. And, and Timothy didn't have the New Testament at that time. He had Paul's letters but, and maybe Peter's letters. He may have read, read too. But he didn't have the completed book that we have. And so... But what Paul wants him to know is that the gospel was preached from the beginning. It's the whole counsel of God. It's the whole of the gospel. Every single part of the Bible points you to Jesus. Every part of the Bible is, is, is written to point us to this Christ who is coming or who has come and in whom God has completed the work for humanity. Um, so can you see what a travesty it is when it becomes all about us in any way, shape or form? What a tragedy and a travesty it becomes. Um, so he's, he's urging Timothy to understand all of this um, and to keep on going because it takes strength and stamina to live the life that Timothy was called to. I mean, I don't think we have any understanding of what it cost them to do this. You know, they walked everywhere for one thing. They walked miles, thousands of miles on mission. Yeah, they were on boats that took, you know, weeks to cross a small stretch of sea. They, you know, all, apart from being beaten and, and shipwrecked, shipwrecked and all of the rest of it. Yeah. I mean, they, it took real strength and stamina and real commitment to live that life. And even the ordinary, everyday Christian, it took strength <laughs> to be a Christian. In the time that Tim, uh, Paul's writing to Timothy, Nero is using Christians as the scapegoat for all his problems. They're being fed to the lions. They're being uh, all sorts of things happening. Yeah. Paul himself was going around rounding them up at a slightly different time, but, you know, 20, 30 years earlier. But he, but he knows that this is what's going to happen. So he's, not, he's passing on to Timothy the reality of the Christian life. It's our, in our culture, we've got no clue of what it means to be a Christian. We haven't got any idea. If you go to North Korea and ask people what it's like to be a Christian, go to Asia, go to China now, go to uh, India, go to all of Africa or most of Africa, go to these places and ask them what it, does it cost to be a Christian. We have no idea. So when we read this letter, we're supposed to be reading it with an understanding of what that was like. Um, and so we have to really, really intently decide I want to understand what that life was like I want to understand what that how that translates into my life today what does that mean you know when he says as he's going to um, in the next chapter his first verse is um, be strong in this in the grace that is in Christ Jesus be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus I mean it's a lovely sentence but what does it actually mean you know what does it mean to Timothy at that time when Paul wrote that. And what does it mean to me? Um, yes, yes, exactly. 
exactly. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Talking about people who've fallen away from, or, or it's been too much for this ministry. Mm. It is, yeah. I was. Ah, uh, I was talking about. I was talking about persecution. Persecution, actually. Mm. Brutal, yeah. Yeah, yeah, in the West. Mm. I know, yeah, that's it. Yeah, yeah. Definitely. Yes. Yes. Oh, definitely. Yes, yes. Don't get me wrong. I'm not. Thank you, Simon. I'm not saying that we're not being persecuted. But what I'm saying is, it's possible to have the name of Christian and not be persecuted in this country. It's only if you are deliberately making yourself aware of what's going on that you are now understanding that that's going on in this country. If you don't, it's possible to go to church every Sunday, to do a Bible study once a week, to have fellowship. It's possible to do those things and not understand that. So, I mean, yes, thank you. Is that, and, but that actually what I meant with, with Africa was that people are actually losing their heads. They're losing their life. I wasn't talking about the difficulty of sharing the gospel, although I know that because I know that's yeah culturally different. Um, yes. Oh well, you answer me the question. You answer the question. Because we are apathetic, largely. Well, the thing is, really, you have to ask yourself that question. Because Paul will say in Philippians that suffering for Christ is a gift from God. So, I mean, he says in Philippians chapter 1, verse 29, he says, to you it has been granted to suffer for Christ's sake. And that word granted means gifted. So, I mean, do we ever look at suffering in that way? Apathy, definitely. It's definitely. And you see what Simon described with, what did you call it? S okay, SRA. He had to find out about that. So someone, he had to ask a question about it. He had to be told it maybe first of all, ask a question, decide that's something I want to know because I want to fight that in some way. So that takes the opposite of apathy, you know. And so... I think, I mean, I think it's in next week's um, session. We're going to look at Nehemiah, so don't want to, but Nehemiah asked the question. 
He had his brothers, or whether they were actual family or just fellow Israelites, who came back from Jerusalem. And he asked a question, what's it like there? And they told him. So that's what I mean. We are so apathetic, we're not even asking the question. And that's why we have a weak and feeble church. Yeah. Oh, they are. They are. Hmm? Because people, A, don't understand the real gospel, mostly. They don't. And B, they're content with receiving, 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 and not understanding we're in a war. This is the front line, actually. In many, many ways, this is the front line. Because we have to fight apathy. We have to fight comfort. We have to fight uh, all of it. You know, you could all think of words. We're fighting that, and that doesn't look like the front line because we automatically assume being killed or imprisoned is the front line, but we are in the front line. But, but what I'm saying is mostly, what, what I was saying was that most Christians have no idea of what suffering for Christ is because they're not doing it, and they're deliberately not doing it because they're deliberately not bothered about what's happening in the church in this country. And, and that's involving a choice. I think a lot of the time, I'm not, I think it's hard to, you know, I mean, I know I have done that. I, yeah, I've done that. And so I'm not sure that that's quite right. So I'm going to pull that back a bit. But I think we have to be aware for ourselves you know, how much am I aware of what's happening in the church in this country? How much am I digging to find out? Or how much am I just absolutely so happy to say, well, you know what, Lord, I'm studying and I'm doing this and I'm doing that. And, you know, that's enough, isn't it? Do you know what I mean? It's like, yeah, how much am I? Um, so, so Paul says to Timothy, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. So uh, tell me what he means. What does he mean, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus? Because I find that such an interesting statement. Therefore, you therefore, my son, therefore, because of everything I've just said, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Yeah. Yeah. There you go. That's it. I think it's to understand totally what that grace of God is and to really believe that it's for you so that you are not afraid to go out and ask the questions about the things that are happening. You're not afraid to actually put your foot in the water because you know that God will protect you, that he's gifted you, that he's called you, that you have had training and that you have fellowship. You have other people who will, will have your back who will be praying for you and stepping in that water with you. Um, and, and, and that's really what he's telling, um, telling Timothy. You know, in order to pass this on, you're going to have to be bold and courageous. I mean, look at Peter and John when they were, you know, taken. They'd been talking in the temple and they were arrested. And they said to them, you know, We'll let you go if you stop talking about Jesus. I think it's about Acts 3 or 4. And they say, well, we don't know what's right or wrong, but we can't stop talking about Jesus. Why was that? Because they understood the enormity of what had just happened. They just understood, well, 
well, I mean, I, they wouldn't probably describe it in the words we would use, but, but they understood exactly what had been done for them and what now they were able to do through the Holy Spirit who had been given to them. And, um, and they, they were bold. When they went back to that group, I think it is Acts 4, when they go back there, they don't pray for, um, you know, take our enemies away or, or guard us. Or They said, Lord, give us the boldness and the courage to keep speaking while you extend your hand to signs and wonders. So it's, it's this, I, I don't know, I feel like it's a complete turnaround from where we mostly are. It's a complete, you know, opposite. And, and yet he's calling Timothy, and through Timothy he's calling us to this ministry. Um, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. No. Yeah. 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 Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And you ask the Lord to, to do whatever he's going to do. You know, yeah. Well, I, yeah, I was actually thinking about that. And this morning I said, um, you know, we have so many Christians praying about Brexit. I mean, they're consumed by Brexit. Now, it's not wrong to pray for Brexit. I'm not saying it's wrong to do that. But what I am saying is I'm wondering how much time is spent on that and how little time is spent on all this two and a half years since we voted leave. Well, whoever did whatever, I voted leave. In all that time, how many people have actually gone straight down the road to hell? Do you see what I mean? It's like, it's not wrong to pray for these things. It's right to pray for these things. But we don't know the mind of God on these things. But we do know the mind of God on making disciples. We know the mind of God on saving people, snatching people from the fire. We know the mind of God on the fact that he doesn't want any to perish, but all to come to repentance. So my point is not that we stop praying for some of these things, but that we broaden our thinking to say, okay, Lord, okay, whilst I'm doing that and trusting that you will bring about the outcome you want, what am I supposed to be doing here? How am I supposed to be praying here? You know, what will I do about my family? You know, somebody said something the other, a while ago, and I realized that they, were, they could almost have been talking to me. I have an opinion on almost everything. I mean, you know, I've always had an opinion on everything. And, and with my sisters, who are both younger than me, I, I've let them know my opinion on everything. And... And if anything comes up about abortion or about this or about that, I've got a very vocal opinion. And now that I'm a Christian, I mean, I'm not only got an opinion, but I'm definitely right about everything. <laughs> so I can, I can argue. I can argue. Can you imagine when I was drinking? I mean, it was, must have been unbearable for people. <laughs> so, but, but somebody said the other day, you know, 
what, what does God want me to be talking? What does he want me to tell my sisters? What does he want me to tell my nieces and my nephews? Does he really want me to have an argument about abortion or transgender or homosexuality? Or does he want me to tell them the gospel? Does he want me to tell them in words, that any words he gives me, how much God loves them and how much he wants them saved and how they can never live the perfect life nor have the perfect life without God, you know? Oh, there you go. There you go. Yes, there you go. Thank you, Anne. <laughs> Thank you. You've just confirmed to me. So it's, it's, you know, I pray for Brexit. I do. I pray that, that God will take us out. Oh, we're consumed. Yeah, we're consumed. So anyway, so... Um, so, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Understand the grace of the gospel of God. That Understand the grace of God to us and be able to share it and explain it, take strength from it, that the truth is we are protected through faith, that we have every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ, that, that we can do all things through Christ who strengthens us, that we do have a mandate to go and make disciples, that we, we know that categorically. And whatever we think about ourselves and how weak and how ridiculous we are god has decided to use us and that he is the god of the impossible so he will do things that we can't even imagine he'll do and he'll do them through us and so that's what he's saying to timothy timothy who's a bit timid who's got stomach problems who's you know who's he's obviously you know in, in not always in the best place. He's saying to Timothy, be strong in this grace because it is enough for you, more than enough for you. Yeah, exactly. Ah, okay. Is that your amplified? Okay, good. Be empowered. Yeah, it's brilliant. It is. It is, because God's grace is powerful. It's powerful grace. Yeah, so I'm perfect. Thank you, Simon. Yeah. So be strong in this grace, but understand that there is suffering attached to ministry. There's suffering attached to the Christian life. At whatever way, shape, or form, there is suffering. And there is a fellowship of suffering. And that's what we've been called to. In, remember in Philippians, he writes in chapter 3 that uh, he wants to know the power of the resurrection and the fellowship of Christ's sufferings. So there is a fellowship for that. And then he's going to um, lay down instructions or examples of how Timothy's everyday life might look if he's strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus and if he takes up the ministry that he's been called to. Um, so what examples does he use? Um, verse 4 and to verse 7. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Well, that's ex exactly. So think about that. These are the examples he's using specifically for Timothy to say, this is the way your life will look. This is the way uh, the ministry is going to go. 
no soldier in active service entangles himself in, himself in the everyday, in the affairs of everyday life, so that he may please the one who enlisted him as a soldier. It is. It is. So, what does he mean? I mean, what's he trying to tell Timothy? Yeah, yeah, maybe that's part of it. Yes. So knowing you're a soldier or giving the example of a soldier, what's he trying to put over to Timothy? Yeah, obey the commander and? Yeah. You're in a war. You're in a war. This is a fight. This is not an easy life. This is not. You're on the victor's side, but you've still got some skirmishes to get through and some battles to fight. And so... You know, we have a church at the moment that's intent on the victory. We have victory. This is yours. This is yours. This is yours. And of course, it's true in a spiritual sense. We have the victory uh, and we have ultimately the glory that is awaiting us. But we've got to fight. We have to fight. There is a fight for the freedom we have in Christ Jesus. There's a fight. It's not always the way we've imagined it would be, but there is a fight. We have to fight for the truth. We have to fight for the truth inside of us so that we hold on to it. And we have to fight for the truth outside of us. We have to fight because we have an enemy and he is mighty. And he's intent on destroying the church. He's intent on destroying it. Now, Jesus says that even the gates of Hades cannot uh, overpower it. But Satan is not aware of that. He, he doesn't know that he can't win because he's still fighting. So he's coming against the church all the time, stealing joy, stealing peace, causing havoc, having us one against the other and bringing all these different issues in and, and filling our minds with all these other things so that we're fighting on so many different fronts that we forget to fight on the one front that matters. And so I think Paul's reminding Timothy, you know, you're a soldier in active service active service and no soldier entangles himself in everyday affairs. Now that doesn't mean that we don't think about the world because that's the opposite. You know, and, and maybe your calling is to pray for a specific thing for a specific time. And, and only you would know that because only the Lord will give you that. But generally, let's think generally, as a body, what are we to be about? What's our role in, the, in this world? Our role is to represent Christ. To represent Christ. That's what we're here for. Mm. 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 Yeah, yeah. No, I don't think that's what he means. No, I don't think that is what he means. Yeah. Mm. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. I think that, I mean, I think partially he's calling Timothy to a celibate life. I do think that there's something in there that maybe he's saying, don't take a wife because it gets complicated. Yeah. But I also think it's not that you can't know about everyday affairs. We have to live. We've got families. We've got, of course, but don't get entangled in them. There's a different thing, isn't there? Entangling is when it becomes more important than the ministry that, you know, you... Yeah. I mean, I do think Christians should be involved in politics. Definitely. I mean, if we're not in politics, I mean, my goodness. We need to be involved in all these things. We need... It, 
Yes. Loan. Definitely. Yes. 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 Definitely. Yes. Yes. I think too that uh, I don't know how we would do this. I'm sure some people know how we would do it. But I think as Christians who believe what he believes and what he said, we should be uh, vocal in our support either online or in, in the newspapers or, yeah. Yeah, we need to be doing that because, um, because otherwise he's going to feel alone. Yeah, so whether he was, you know, did it the right way, yeah, I think we do need to support. So I, I definitely think Christians need to be in politics, we need to be writing to newspapers, we need to be doing all of those things. We need to make a stand about the things that God cares about. But, but also remembering that my main focus is the ministry that God has called me to, which is the ministry of the gospel, to talk to people about the grace and the salvation that is in Christ Jesus. Um, so he uses the soldier, and um, he says that um, he goes on, uh, sorry, before that, he suffer hardship with me as a good soldier. So soldiers suffer hardship. I mean, that's just a, a given. So he's saying, suffer hardship with me. Uh, there's this fellowship of suffering, and it's hard to be um, a minister of the gospel. It is. There's hardship involved in it. Um, what else does he say? So he endures hardship. He avoids worldly entanglements. Um, and then he goes on to talk about the athlete. Why does he use an athlete, do you think? Run the race, persevere to the end, yeah. 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 What's his specific point, though? His specific point about the athlete? Unless you obey the rules. Unless you run according to the rules. What do you think he means? Yeah, for Timothy. Yeah. See, from a human perspective, Paul was a loser. He was in prison. But Paul had competed according to the rules of his Lord. So he's run the race set before him. He's fought the good fight. He's done what he was called to do. And he knows there's a crown waiting for him because he has and he trusts God's word. And I think that's what he means. That humanly speaking, you might look like a loser Humanly speaking, you might be a loser, but you, if you are running the race that Christ has set before you, it's glory all the way. And you will get the reward. That's what he says, doesn't he? Does not win the prize unless he competes according to the... So, his rules, yeah. Yeah, Christ's rules, yeah. So we've got the soldier who's in active service. So we've got a soldier in the war. We've got an athlete who's got to not bother about what he looks like in the world's eyes and consider the rules that he's following, which are the rules of the law of Christ and the way of Christ. 
Yeah, very. Train hard. Yeah, train hard. Exactly. And you need to know what the rules are. Exactly. What are they? Yeah, discipline, all of those things. Um, what about the farmer? Because he's going to say about a farmer. The hard-working farmer. See, he said, hasn't he? He said, you're in a battle and don't get entangled in everyday affairs. Run the race according to the word of God. Know the scriptures, as Pete says. Know those scriptures. Run according to those. Run the race that you've been that's set before you, just as Christ did. For the, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross. And then he's talking about the hard-working farmer. What is it about farmers that he wants? Yeah, exactly. And, yeah, so preparation. I live in, amidst farmers in Warwickshire. They work harder than anybody. They're up before dawn and they're in bed late. And in the, in the summertime when they're harvesting, they're out on those on those fields until midnight and beyond, reaping the harvest. So when he says a hard-working farmer, he means someone who works very hard. And, and farmers, you've said they have to prepare and everything else, but also what they plant, they don't see for a very long time. So they have to be patient and they have to do what they need to do to something they can't even see. So a hard-working farmer, if, if he's trying to put something over to Timothy, it's, it's surely that, that keep going, keep going, keep going, because you will reap a harvest um, in the end. And he says the farmer ought to be the first to receive the share of his crops. What does he mean by that, do you think? Maybe. Maybe. Yeah. Yeah, maybe. Um, yeah, what, what do you think about a farmer and reaping or uh, being the first to receive his share of the crops? Yeah, I think it is. Worker is worth his wages. And yeah, I think there's partly that. But also, I think he's also trying to say, it's like, if you have to, like, I have to prepare for this Bible study. I mean, I get a million times more out of it than I give or that is given because I have to do so much to find this. So I'm, I'm yeah, much more blessed. And um, I think that's sort of what he means. Yeah, that he, you're going to get out. And so you won't have to necessarily wait for the harvest because you'll be getting out of this work, yeah, as, as it goes along. I mean... These are things I just think he's saying. I'm not absolutely positive. Um, yeah. Um, I think he uses the same ideas in lots of other letters. You can look at Corinthians and where he uses the soldier and a farmer. Um, yeah. 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 Um, yeah. He says to Timothy... Consider what I say, for the Lord will give you understanding in everything. Why do you think he wants to say that to Timothy? Why is he saying to him, think about what I've said, because God will give you understanding. Because, I mean, we've all, we could come up with a lot of more things, couldn't we, that he might have meant in this. And I think he's encouraging Timothy to think about all the other stuff that could be attached to this. But why is he doing that? Why would Timothy have to spend his time thinking about what Paul has said? 
Mm. Yeah, definitely that's true. Definitely. Think about his idea of Christian ministry, the hardships of it, the suffering attached to it. Um, he's encouraging Timothy to, to really meditate on the truth that he's told him. And I think somewhere in there might be the idea that if you're not aware of the hardship, of the difficulty, of the waiting and waiting and waiting to see any result, of the having to run according to the word of God, even though to the whole world you look like a loser, if you're not aware of that stuff, you could start to think, maybe I heard God wrong. Maybe I've got confused. Maybe this isn't my ministry. Maybe, yeah, maybe I shouldn't be doing that. Exactly, because I'm not seeing results. Um, exactly, exactly. And yes, and I mean, he's, that's the big one for me, the big one. Really, has God really called you to this? Really? Because I mean, look, I mean, how many people have you got coming? Consider Beth Moore, consider Joyce Meyer, consider all these other people who've got hundreds of thousands no, I know, but what I'm saying is that's how the enemy comes in. And if you start to think, yeah, but, you know, well, I've, oh, I've been doing it for so long, and what's happening, Lord? And really, do you, maybe you don't want me to do this. And that starts to come in, and you start to think, I shouldn't be doing this, until you get back into the understanding, but, but this is what I've been called to, and also this can't be wrong. You know, the enemy wants me to think it's wrong, but it cannot be wrong. And that's in, every, in everybody's case. It's in your case as well, in, in whatever God uses you for. You could think, I'm sure, Simon, for you, that you're on the outside of a lot of groups in, in the areas that perhaps you mix because you're a Christian and because you're a, a vocal Christian. So that will put you on the outside because it will be, yes, exactly. It puts all of us on the outside. Each of us. Carol, I know it puts you on the outside because when I talked at your birthday party all those years ago, I know the reaction of people. So it definitely puts us on the outside to do what God has called us to do. And if we're not aware of what, is, what the reality is of ministry and life, we could easily think we've done the wrong thing or we are doing the wrong thing. Maybe it's better if I just befriend them all in your case and just love them all and don't bother to tell them the hard truths about the gospel. And so the church has gone. Um, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. No. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. I think, actually, he did well. I do. I think he did well, because he did take the mantle on and he did travel, but I don't know exactly. And No, 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 no. We do know that he was imprisoned, because in Hebrews, the writer to the Hebrews says that he's just been released. So we know he's been imprisoned, so therefore he must have been doing something right. So, you know... Um, 
So let's just move on a little bit because we want to get to the end of verse 13. So remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, descendant of David, according to my gospel, for which I suffer hardship even to imprisonment as a criminal. But the word of God is not imprisoned. So remember Jesus Christ. Um, I think he's, he's used these examples, the soldier, the farmer, the athlete. He's talked about all the training he's had and all the foundation he has. And now he wants to go on, I think, and, and kind of finish this section with, this is why you do, this is why you're doing what you're doing. This is why you need to understand the realities of ministry. So when he says, remember Jesus Christ, what does he actually mean? Yeah, that he's raised from the dead. Yeah, and I mean, why is this? Remember, it's like you know, remember Jesus Christ. Do you ever remember that? Remember the Alamo? Who was it at the Alamo? My my dad used to love those Western films, so I grew up watching. Was it Davy Crockett? Okay, remember the Alamo. Remember the Alamo. What happened at the Alamo? Well, there was some sort of victory at the Alamo. It was like, remember that battle. Remember that. Remember that. Well, they might have done, but, you know. There. So it was the victory. So they, they lost their lives in it, and, but there was a victory attached to it. So when he says, remember Jesus, he's saying, remember. It looks like a, a defeat, but it's the victory. Remember that victory. Keep remembering that victory. Keep remembering that he's risen from the dead, that, that you're going to be resurrected with him, that we're, it's going to be glorious. Keep remembering that because in that way, you are going to exalt the name of Jesus Christ. He is going to be lifted up. Everything you do is going to be done with the sh absolute assurance that you're on the right side, that the victory's won in Christ Jesus. That though it's hard, though it's difficult, though you're not up, up for the task, he has won the victory. I think that's what he means. And, and yeah, remember Jesus. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. Definitely, definitely. And also, Anne, don't you think that when, you, when it does take too much for you to remember that, that vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. I know that sounds horrible, doesn't it? But it's like God will avenge. He will. No, no, but he will. And he, no, and he knows everything that's happened and everything that's said. It is. Hmm. Mm. Yeah, but uh, he collects our tears in a bottle. He knows everything that happens to us, and he and he's aware of it, and he has made a plan for it and a purpose for it, and he turns all things, makes all things work together for good. So there's this understanding that God will avenge, and he will, he will restore the years the locusts have eaten. Um, yeah, very. Mm. Um, and, uh, of course, remember Jesus, remember, you know, he endured the cross, bearing the shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Yeah. 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 
That's it. It is. Um, the gospel of Jesus magnifies Christ. It magnifies him. I mean, it's the exaltation of Christ and the vindication of God's plan. So uh, it, what, when you remember Jesus, what are you going to remember? Yeah, that he's loving, that he loves. Okay, what else? That he's, a, he's the saviour. Yeah, no, you're remembering Jesus. Don't remember what he did for you. Remember who he is. Remember Jesus. No, no, it's not wrong. Of course it's not wrong. It's, it's, but just remember Jesus. So who is Jesus and what do you want to remember about him? He's raised from the dead. He's resurrected. But isn't he, don't you want to remember that he's gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in loving kindness? Don't you want to remember that he is the creator and sustainer of all things, that he upholds all things by the word of his power, that he is righteous and just and true and faithful and merciful and gracious and loving and kind and everything. He's just everything. When he says, remember Jesus, he doesn't just... Oh, yeah, Jesus. Yeah, I must remember Jesus. It's remember things about Jesus that will eventually make a difference in your life. Remember things about Jesus. Remember that he's faithful. Remember that he's just. Remember that he's merciful. Remember that he's gracious. Remember that he's, he was obedient to death on a cross. Remember that he surrendered his own will to the will of the Father. Remember that he humbled himself. Remember that he, he was unafraid. Yeah, and he was a human being. Yeah, remember he was a person who took on all that suffering. Yeah, remember those things. Yeah. 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 Yes. Blameless with great joy. Yeah. 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 He rose from the dead. Yeah. And he's, yeah, he's seated at the right hand of the throne of God. He is the majesty on high. He is all of those things. And, and he's telling him to deliberately remember those things about Jesus, to make yourself remember those. You know, if you have to write a list, write a list. But all the things that Christ is, and then remember them. What happens when you remember who Christ is? Not what he's done necessarily, but he gets bigger. He gets bigger. He is magnified, actually, in our mind. And as that happens, because the thing is, God is so amazing that as we magnify Christ, there's always a blessing attached to us. So it's not just that we glorify God or glorify Christ and there's nothing, like we just walk away like nothing. Okay, I've done what I'm supposed to do. What happens when we remember Christ we're filled with joy we're lifted up we are lifted up because he is exalted and and that has effect in us so we are, we receive joy and we know peace and we we know that we're loved and yeah and we know all the things he's done for us because we have literally simply remembered who he is yeah the problem is that we have often, not all the time, but we have a church that focuses on what he's done for me 
rather than who he is. And so inevitably, inevitably, I am so tied up with what he's now done for me that I am lifted up, but he is not necessarily lifted up. I mean, I don't mean that's general, because of course that's not always true. But, but there's this, the, always the focus in scripture is exalt God, magnify God, glorify God, lift his name, and then you will receive the blessing. Um, when you do that, you're encouraged, you're lifted up. What are you reminded of when you're exalting and remembering Christ Jesus? Yeah, that he's mighty, that he's glorious, and that glory awaits us because we're going to be with him in glory. And as we do that, because of the blessing we receive, so we're reminded that we're going to glory, but we're also receiving the benefits of that glory now. We feel glorious. Yes, exactly. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And so we feel that now. We experience that. Um, so, um, you know, Paul can write this in prison. In prison. I don't know that he knew. Yeah. 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 I know. Definitely. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. But think about, did, did he know? I'm not sure Paul knew that we would be reading this letter. I'm not sure that he had the idea that, that this was going to... Yeah, I'm not sure he knew that. But he knew it was going to the church in his day. And so he knew that everything he suffered and endured would build up the body of Christ. And there is that kind of sense. You know, he talks about it in Corinthians, the body of Christ, and one suffers, they all suffer. So there is that idea in Paul. And as you see it as, he, as he's writing, that the word of God cannot be bound and it will lift the body of Christ. So he's writing what, the word of God. He's writing what God is telling him to write to the church because he knows that even though he is facing this suffering and enduring it, it will lift the body of Christ. And yeah, and it will achieve its purpose. Yeah. Um. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. 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 No, or where, or exactly, it doesn't. Because ultimately, we're not doing it for the effect, we're doing it for God. And that's the thing. And so if we can think about that all the time, if it can only be between me or corporately us and God, and we're not worried because we trust that he will have the effect. That's the thing, yeah. Um, I just want to finish this with these... Um, for this reason I endure all things for the sake of those who are chosen so that they also might obtain the salvation which is in Christ Jesus and with it eternal glory. So again, this idea that he's suffering for, this, for the church's sake, that, um, that they will um, 
obtain the salvation in Christ Jesus and with it eternal glory. And then he says, it is a trustworthy statement for if we died with him, we will also live with him. If we endure, we will also reign with him. If we deny him, he also will deny us. If we are faithless, he remains faithful because he cannot deny himself. Um, I I want to pick that apart just a little bit. Um, So, Uh, let's take the first one. If we died with him, we will also live with him. First of all, I I think he's probably talking about some sort of hymn that they used to sing or something at a baptismal service, maybe something that they said in the church. So what do you think he means for if if you died with him, for if we died with him, we will also live with him? What's he referring to, do you think? I'm not sure he is, actually. I think he's talking about our identification with Christ. That's why I think he might be talking about something that's said at baptisms. Um, when, when you believed in Jesus, God identified you with Christ. And, and Romans 6 says he baptized us. with. So we were baptized into his death and into his resurrection. So, um, And I don't think in Romans 6 he's talking about water baptism. I think he's talking about the identification that God does to us with Christ Jesus to say that we were buried with him and then we are raised to walk in newness of life. If we died with him, and again, going back to uh, Angela's reminder of Galatians 2, for I have died with Christ, I've been crucified with Christ. So um, if we died with him, we will also live with him. If we endure, we will also reign with him. What do you think he means by that? (laughs) Well, is our salvation dependent on our endurance? No, it's not. Our salvation is not dependent. Our salvation was dependent on Christ's endurance, not ours. So it can't be about salvation. That's one thing. But when he talks about endurance and reigning, when he's talking about if we endure, he's talking about enduring suffering because that's what he's been talking about. If we endure this suffering that will be attached to our living for Christ Jesus, we will also reign with him. And for Paul, there were these crowns. Remember, God, through Paul, wrote about the crowns that we would receive. And uh, you receive them for your work for the gospel. Yes, for, well, not so, but for, for what you've done in the body of Christ, what you've done with what God gifted you with. And Paul talks about these crowns that you lay at Christ's feet, of course, but... Um, yeah, yeah, thank you. Yes, thank you. Yeah, there you go. Yes, thank you, Carol. So I think he's contrasting the kind of suffering and the glorification, the the kind of thinking about that. He may also have in mind the millennial reign of Christ if we endure, because Jesus said in Matthew 24, those who endure to the end will be saved, uh, talking about the thousand-year reign of Christ and the endurance through that. So he may have had that in mind, but I think he's talking about suffering and glorification and the reception of rewards for um, your life in Christ. Um, if we disown him, if we deny him, he will also deny us. What does he mean? Yeah, I think he's talking. Go ahead. What were you going to say? Yeah. 
definitely. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Thank you. Yeah. I'm not sure. I'm not sure. Again, I'd have to talk about that with you. We probably never will, Mike. I know. These are difficult things, aren't they? Yeah. No, they're not. But also, um, 11 and 12 and 13 are all connected. So I, I'm not saying that's wrong. I'm saying we'd, we haven't got the time to pick it apart, but we'd have to do that. No, it's not in the moment for denying. That's definitely not, because Peter denied Christ. So that, that cannot be it. If we... No, he was forgiven. So when was he forgiven? At that time. No, he was forgiven before the foundation of the world. And he was forgiven at the cross, actually, because if you want to put it in time, he was forgiven at the cross. He didn't maybe know he was forgiven until he saw Jesus on the seashore. But the idea is definitely not right that it's in the moment. If we deny him in the moment, no, I don't think that. Yeah. Well, tell me, first of all, if he's talking about denying Christ um, and he's talking about the suffering and everything else, he's not talking about the one moment of denial. He's talking about the, the turning away from Christ. It's actually, the word means disowning Christ. So it's the turning away. So I think he's talking about the apostasy, the way that John writes that they went out from us and we know they weren't of us because they went out from us. So it was possible for people who are professing believers to go out of faith or out of what they've said. Uh, Matthew 7, um, many will come to me on that day and say, Lord, Lord, didn't we in your name? There are no, therefore their God's Holy Spirit was never in them. Never. Can't be, Mike, can't be. If the Holy Spirit brings you eternal life, it would be very capricious to say, okay, now you've got it, now you haven't. Now you've got it, now you haven't. That can't be. So the people who are, he's talking about disowning Christ are those who, to all intents and purposes, look like they are believers. But because they disown him or deny him, they show themselves never to have been believers. Because he's going to go on to say the next thing, if we are faithless... He remains faithful. So if when you and I don't have the faith, because our faith is paper thin, Jesus remains faithful. So... Mm -hmm. So do you think when you don't do something, Christ denies you? So that's what I mean, that's where we are. Oh, definitely. Yeah, 
definitely. But that's not what he's talking about here. He's talking about the real depths of the ministry of Christ, that, that um, if we endure, we'll reign with him. There's a crown for those people who endure the suffering and the hardship coming. If we deny him, if we disown him, he will also deny us. He just finished in chapter 1 talking about people who'd left him and walked away. Because they couldn't, they, they wouldn't suffer the hardship necessary for... Uh, No, no, no. No, no, go ahead, Mike. No, no. <laughs> Don't shut up, Mike. I'll shut up, shall I? Um, denying him, disowning him, is the act of walking away, walking out of... It's apostasy. It's what the Bible talks about, apostasy. The problem is we don't want to hear apostasy because we want to hear once saved, always saved. We want to hear that, you know, if, if you say you're a Christian, even if you walk away and do all sorts of things, then, you know, you're still saved. Well, actually, that's not what the Bible says. The Bible says if you truly are saved, you cannot deny Christ, disown him. You cannot because you, God will keep you. He will keep you. But can you be faithless? Yes, I'm faithless half the time. So, yes, you can be, but he cannot be faithless because he is faithful always. I just want to finish with one little example that I read in a book. There was a man a long time ago, five, six hundred years ago, and he was due to be... But he's dead. He was, bur he was due to be burned at the stake the next day for his faith. And in his prison cell the night before, apparently he put his finger over the candle to see how much pain it would be and see how long he could keep his finger there. And he couldn't keep his finger there more than about five seconds and he pulled it away and he was in tears because he said, Lord, Lord, I can't, I don't, won't be able to bear it. And I, I know that I'm going to, you know, retract, I'm going to deny you or whatever. But God's promise to us is that his grace is always sufficient and the next day apparently he went to that stake and he was burned alive and he was praising God the whole time so that's the promise that's how we know that we can't if you know if you have the Holy Spirit and if you really are a believer and God will keep you never will I leave you or forsake you I will keep you till the end I will enable you to endure Father, thank you that um, your word is amazing. Thank you that we can have discussion, Lord. Thank you that Mike is here and that he will say things because I, I do want this, Lord. We want to be able to talk about these things and, and, and really wrestle with them and understand them. And, and Father, we pray for you for that understanding because you know we can come up with everything we want to, but ultimately you're the one who's going to give us the wisdom and the understanding that we need. And so we thank you that you will. I pray for everyone here, Lord, and ask you to, uh, do what you've promised to do and that is to protect us through faith as we go out Lord God that your powerful grace will be sufficient for us and we will know that we are being held in the hands of our glorious God and um, I thank you for it Lord in Jesus name Amen